Thank you, Ellen. As Susan mentioned, our focus this morning, scripture-wise, is a passage from, written by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. It's a short three, what, four verses. I invite you to listen for the Word of God. Do you not know that in a race the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air, but I punish my body and enslave it, so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Friends, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You who are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. By now, after more than 12 years of me standing in this pulpit and yakking my mouth, most of you realize that I am passionate about sports. Athletics, both as a participant and as a spectator, have brought me much joy in my life. In fact, one sport in particular paid for my college education. I'm still waiting for my parents to pay me back. In fact, more than once in my career in the ministry have I been accused of being a jock. Indeed, I have even been accused of being a jock preacher, whatever that means, I have no clue. Maybe it arises from practices like recording Wimbledon, which is being played even as we speak, so I can watch it later, so don't let me know what happens. Now, now this used to bother me, I suppose due to, con due to the connotation that often goes along with being a jock. You know, that unspoken adjective which often precedes it, a dumb jock. It's kind of like how being from the South or speaking with a southern accent, carries with it a certain connotation, and believe me, it does. You know, the stereotype that southerners have two first names, like Billy Bob or Sarah Jean, or marry their cousins, lack teeth, or racist or homophobic, listen to all of them, listen to country and western music like NASCAR, live in trailers, keep their de Christmas decorations up all year long, and still live with that rubric, the South will rise again. Live outside the southern U.S. for a time, and you become aware of this prejudice. But I suppose you folks, good folks here in New Jersey, know all about prejudice, about stereotypes as well. You know the, the stereotype that New Jersey is a slab of co turnpike concrete, has dirty beaches, corrupt politicians, and is populated by Jersey Shore lookalikes or the Sopranos characters. Live outside New Jersey for a time and you become aware of this prejudice, though some of you perhaps are aware of it even if you have lived here all your life. Well, be that as it may, as I have gotten older and realized that in fact my passions, one of them being sports or God-given, I have come to a, a peaceful resolution about being a jock, even a dumb jock. So if you today call me a jock or a jock preacher, I take it as an affirmation of the gifts, abilities, and passions with which I have been blessed by God. 
Well, the Apostle Paul must have been something of a jock, too. On several occasions, he uses athletic metaphors in making a point. The citizens of Corinth would surely have been quite familiar with allusions to athletic competition, as the Isthmian Games, second only to the Olympics, were held each year or every other year in Corinth. Paul specifically mentions two events, running and boxing, in the passage we read, using these images as an angle from which to instruct the Christians gathered there in this cosmopolitan town. Every sporting event has a goal. In basketball, the, the goal is to score more points than the other team. In baseball, to score more runs. In swimming, to swim the fastest time. In gymnastics, to receive the highest mark, and so on. Every athletic competition has something towards which it is aiming, a goal. Even non-competitive sporting endeavors have a purpose. A person who goes to the gym and works out or runs in the neighborhood does so for a purpose, to stay healthy or, or look better or lose weight or some other reason. In the same way, Paul emphasizes that the Christian journey has a purpose, a goal. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air. Can you imagine the, the Federer and Dokovic taking the court today, only discover there is no net? Absurd. Or can you imagine Ed McCarthy heading out to bowl another perfect game? Notice I said another, not first, but another perfect game, only discover when he gets to the lanes that there are no pins? Equally absurd. Well, such it is in the Christian journey. For individual Christians, for a faith community, at least according to Paul. Paul exhorts us to, to not wander aimlessly, but to run in such a way that we can win the prize. We have a purpose. We have a goal. And whereas Paul may be talking about an imperishable wreath in the sense of eternal life in Jesus Christ beyond this life, Obtaining that prize is determined by how we run the race in this life. How we run the race, according to Paul, not only determines whether we obtain that eternal crown, but how we run the race goes a long way in determining whether we find joy and fulfillment and meaning in life on this earth. If you want your life to have meaning and joy and fulfillment, if you want in your life to have a certain sense of contentment and peace, Paul suggests we need to pay attention to how we are running the race. And he goes to, on to suggest several things, even in this passage, which are necessary in running the race successfully. Things like self-control having a focus, discipline, all these things that successful athletes and musicians and actors and artists and writers and others who excel at a particular discipline know all about. You can tell that according to Paul, being a Christian is serious business. It's not easy. Just as training for an athletic event requires rigor, 
and even as Paul describes it, punishing the body, so running the race as a Christian requires some of the same commitment. Author Stephen Dowdy recalls the following. The monk Thomas Merton once asked an earnest student a question that he immediately answered himself. How does an apple ripen? It just sits in the sun. The student, James Finley, thought long about that image and years later wrote, A small green apple cannot ripen in one night by tightening all its muscles, squinting its eyes, and tightening its jaw in order to find itself the next morning miraculously large, red, ripe, and juicy. The apple just sits in the sun. It is naturally positioned to receive the daily nourishment it needs to ripen. This is similar to how we mature in the, fulfillness, in the fullness of God's life, except that we are not naturally positioned like the apple. We must place ourselves where we can receive the light of God. And this is the practice of spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines, regular intentional practices like prayer, meditation, solitude, fellowship, study, and worship are the ways through which we position ourselves to receive the sunlight of God's grace. My brothers and sisters, if your life is not where you would like it to be, from an inner peace and contentment standpoint, you would be wise to consider carefully whether you are positioning yourself so as to receive the gifts of God's grace. Am I engaging on an intentional and regular basis in those practices of spiritual disciplines, prayer, study, worship, solitude, fellowship, and so on, which position me to receive God's grace? Fred Craddock provides insight into the Christian journey when he makes the distinction between interested listeners and obedient disciples. Interested listeners are those individuals and faith communities who, though they give lip service to the call of discipleship, are unwilling to put the time and energy into the deeper disciplines. In Paul's vernacular, they disqualify themselves. Never taking the call to discipleship seriously, they meander through life, being blown about by this wind of doctrine or that, like a boat without a rudder. With no history of spiritual discipline or commitment, there is no compelling reason to exercise self-control or self-discipline in the area of spirituality. So interested listeners kind of just muddle through life, which is fine until the bottom falls out. When crisis strikes in the form of an illness or a failing relationship or untimely death, interested listeners have no foundation on which to lean, no interior faith journey on which to call. And the result is often anger, despair, bitterness, even disease. Craddock reminds us it is in the storms of life and the faithful seem to face more of them than anyone else 
that the difference between listening, interested listeners and obedient disciples will be evident. Disciples who have moved beyond the interested listener stage know that the true strength and durability of Christianity rests in its power to lift us when we are in the valley. When through the practicing of spiritual disciplines, we are running the race with our fellow believers beside us, we can better handle the storms of life when they hit. They may set us back, they may cause deep pain and untold sorrow, but they don't become circumstances that in and of themselves control us because our foundation is a power higher than any earthly power. In closing, I, I invite you to reflect just for a moment. Paul describes the journey on which we are traveling as a race. We are all running a race, so to speak. How do you want your life to read after the earthly race you are running is completed? After your time on earth is done, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want your life to be characterized? If you were to write your own obituary, what would you want it to say? Or coming at it from a slightly different perspective, what words would you want a friend or family member to say about you on the occasion of your funeral? What adjectives would you want to see used? How many times in my ministry have I met with family members who have struggled to find kind words to say about their deceased loved one? And it's sad and always a tragedy. My assertion, buttressed by Paul's exhortation here in Corinthians, is that if you want your legacy to be one of, of compassion and integrity and kindness, you will position yourself in disciplines which lead to life. Friends, we are only given a small measure of time on this earth. In fact, no one knows when our race will be complete. So I exhort you to run the race in such a way that you may win it. Exercise those spiritual disciplines, regular intentional practices like prayer, meditation, solitude, fellowship, study, and worship, so as to receive the sunlight of God's grace. Then go to bed in peace. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you that in this journey we call life, you have given us an example in Jesus. Help us to run, take seriously our run through this life. Help us, as Jesus did, to find time to get away, time apart, to meditate, to join in fellowship, to study, to worship so that we might have the foundation, that foundation which leads to life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.